Hey everybody, Chris here. Um, first off, this is a part two. So if you haven't listened to episode 39, you should go back and do that first. Uh, second of all, this is a bonus episode, um, an example of what you might get if you became a patron to the podcast. Uh, we're going to be pretty soon starting patron-only episodes once or twice a month um, in which you'll get tips from the pros that we interview or short conversations between Nate and I and the rest of the team sometimes and Q&As much like this one with Steve Bechtel. Um, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast or you can click on the podcast tab at powercompanyclimbing.com and it should be self-explanatory how to sign up. If you don't want to become a patron, no big deal. We're still going to be giving you the same amount of free content that we do now, likely more in the future. That seems to be how we roll. Enjoy. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am sitting here in um, the good weather today, though it's sucked the last few days, in Lander, Wyoming, uh, with fan favorite and honorary co-host, Steve Bechtel. And we just had a conversation about his new book, Logical Progression, which all of you should have already gone out and picked up if you have not already. Um, get online and order it. It's on Amazon, right, Steve? Is that, yep. Okay. You can get it on Amazon. Logical Progression is what it's called. Uh, using nonlinear periodization for year-round climbing performance. And uh, I posited the, the question to... I guess I didn't really ask them a specific question to our Facebook community group and just told them I was going to be talking to Steve today. And, you know, for any of them who had read the book or just had general questions for Steve, um, they they hit me with some some good questions here. Um, so good job, community. You guys are thinking out loud and I love it. Um, so let's just start from the top here, Steve, um, from Kyle Hendon. He says, and this could be a whole nother podcast and probably will be at some point, um, but why are second tier routes so overlooked and why are they important? Um, you do mention in the, in the book that you know, a lot of people spend more time projecting instead of at the second tier, which is an important place for them to be, um, but it's sort of an aside um, away from the main topic of the book, so... Let's just dig into that a little bit. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. The um, the second tier is overlooked because it's. It, it, I don't think it's a as big uh, an ego boost as as sending a new hard route, or sometimes um, even just saying I'm working on right my draws hard route. route. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really <clears throat> great. Like um, you know to to be on on a route or to be seen on a route but but you've always got to remember that your your ego is not always your best friend and there is a time for projecting and i think projecting um 
way above your level is is also uh, appropriate at some times. But for the most part, the second tier is useful. Um, and it, let me just describe second tier here in case somebody doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, first tier would be the the level that you're trying to red point, your hardest send uh, or maybe the grade above that. Um, and then the second tier would be two and three grades below that. So mm-hmm. if I'm um, projecting a 13C, second tier might be 13A or even 12D. Um, and what's useful about second tier routes is that you can send them relatively quickly, right? Um, yet they're um, probably not something that you could on-site. So they're they're giving you enough improvement stimulus that you actually have to be present for them. Um, but like I said, you can do them quickly. Usually, people um, can back off two to three grades and do those routes within um, two to four tries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the huge benefits of second tier is when you're peaking and you're red pointing really well, um, and say you're a weekend warrior, you're going to work on your project on Saturday and, and probably have some good goes on it. But here's how your Saturday looks. You go out and you do two pitches of 510, you do one pitch of 12A, and then you get on the project. Mm-hmm. You give the project a couple or three burns, um, and then you pack it in for the day because you're, you know, you've worn yourself out. What happens during that time, and Chris and I have talked about it um, in the past, is that your your fitness is actually dropping because your efficiency is improving, and so you we tend to get more efficient um, on these routes, and then we try to save ourselves. We aren't pushing outside our our red zone. Um, we're not doing you know, extra laps at the end of the day. We're not trying other climbs. Right. And so when we're in a peaking phase, we we drop in fitness. And so where a second tier would come in would be maybe on that Sunday or on if you get a climb during the, the following week would be to go out and have a whole different uh, climbing day where you're working on 12 plus 13 minus routes that are going to still um, help you keep your fitness up and still help you improve um, those, those highly technical skills that you wouldn't get just doing mileage. Yeah. And I think, I think something that's important to note is that, uh, you have to be completely honest with yourself about what those second tier routes are, because I, I see a lot of people who are very project averse and they, they don't like projecting. And part of the reason for that is because they don't quite understand it. So what they deem to be their second tier routes might not be their actual second tier routes. You know, you said something important that it should be a couple numbers below your hardest red points or your project, but you shouldn't be able to onsite it. And I talk to so many people who are onsiting at their top level mm-hmm. um, because they don't understand how to project or or just don't like it or whatever. Um, but if you're on-siting it, that's not your second tier. Right. And a lot of people don't believe in their ability to climb hard. And so you've right. seen that. I, my on-site is 11D and my hardest red point is 12A right. that I did second go. Yep. Um, the, the, there's a really great, um, you know, 8A is a really cool tool if you go and you look at the top climbers in the world because yep. you can see their on-sites and their red points. Mm-hmm. 
And and one of the one of the big rules of thumb in climbing is that most climbers that are that are successful can go four grades or one full U.S. number grade right. harder on their red point than they can on their onsite. Yep. There's a little bit of variability there, but but for the most part, if you're not there, you're probably lacking in one or the other. Yeah. And so then the second tier falls somewhere in between those. Yep. The, the other thing I'll say about second tier is it's your opportunity to get better at climbing. Your first tier almost always defaults to something that you've, um, you've, you like. Um, it's endurance oriented because I'm an endurance climber. You know, if I'm going to break into the new, the next higher grade, it's going to be a kind of route that suits me. Right. The second tier is my opportunity to bring up all those skills that I've, I've been lacking, you know? So if, if we're still at that, um, you know, 513 as a uh, 13A as a second tier, you should be doing 13A slabs or finger cracks or whatever you're mm -hmm. not good at. Yeah, um, totally. And, uh, and that's a, that is your, your opportunity for growth. Yeah. All right. Um, let's look at the next one. Pablo Fernandez says in Steve's strength book, he recommends the get up as the single best exercise. And with the popularity of the deadlift, including your own book, is that still the case and why? Um, I think if you could only do one exercise, the get up would be best because there's more total body involvement. Right. There's a lot of mobility and stability in the shoulder with the get up. Right. Uh, and the, the core involvement is very similar to, to climbing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I still think that's the single best exercise. The deadlift is is the best hip hinge exercise uh, and the best for creating that tension in the posterior chain. Um, and there's really not a situation where you should have to choose between one or the other. Right. Um, but I do I do believe you should do the the minimum possible of each one of those because again they fall into that supporting stuff and we we want to. Um, keep in mind that, you know, like the climbing is the thing. Yep. Um, deadlifting, I, I probably pull, um, once every 10 days now. Um, and I'll do maybe three sets of two and I can still, uh, maintain my strength from last December. So we're, we're talking in May. So five months of very low volume, very infrequent deadlifting, and I can maintain the same strength. I, I just need to be strong enough to climb, uh, I don't need to set a deadlift record. And so the same thing with the get up. The get up is nice as a warm up. It's nice as as a uh you know, strength session in between um bouldering days. Um and it's it's much less uh neurologically damaging than the the uh the deadlift. When you're pulling heavy on those, it can set you back a few days. Yeah, and I think the get up is a really great awareness tool as well because you can really break it down like a a really hard boulder problem and focus in on a lot of the tiny little things that are going on to make a dead or to make a get up really good. Yeah. And it's, it's doesn't take much. Like, uh, one of the, one of the workouts we'll prescribe for our athletes is out of a book by Pavel Satsulin called simple and sinister. And it's, uh, five sets of 10 swings and five sets of one get up on each side. And yep. it's, it's pretty simple to get through. And um, it, it gives you a whole lot. And then, you know, again, we've got this strength covered. 
um, move on into uh, your skill skill based bouldering. Yeah, I start almost every strength workout I do with with three get ups on each side and three sets of ten swings. Yeah, um, it's a very good place to start. Yeah. Okay, um, Brendan Quinn, who we mentioned in the last episode, um, has a big overarching question here on. How would you like to see the principles and philosophy outlined in logical progression impact the future of climbing training? I What I'd like is for all climbers to have all the options, mm-hmm. um, you know, to have all the tools that, that, that are at their fingertips so they can look at it and say, oh, okay, maybe I should try this instead. Um, what I would like to see is people that think they're too busy to train or they just can't stick with the organization of it, um, find out that they can still progress. Right. And, and the underlying um, thing that I, I try to put forth with all of my athletes is that there is a way forward. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how injured you are or... Um, how little time you have. Yeah, or... it, you, you can get better. I mean, we have, I'll give you a good example. There's, we have this really well-known um, uh, alpine climber and rock climber that lives here in Lander. His name's Mike Lilligren. And he did his hardest. And dancer. Yeah, and a dancer, right. <laughs> um, he did his hardest climbing maybe in the mid-1990s. And he's getting close to 50 now. And he's now surpassing that level from the mid nineties. I just saw he's back in here training, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's doing a lot and he's, you know, he's super focused. He's had to, you know, he's had to, instead of being just, uh, go out to the crag and climb guy, he has to be pretty planned in what he does at the crag. But this guy is going to climb 513, which will be the hardest he's, he's ever red pointed. Um, and, and it'll probably be in the next five to six months. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the value of, of all of these plans is like find a plan that works for the guy and turn him loose on it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Next is from Mark Segrist, who is our, our resident, uh, deep thinker. He, he always dumps these big thoughts on our community page and, and I hate him for it because I get sucked into them and have to read them even if I don't have time to read them. So um, his question is, what are your thoughts on linear versus nonlinear for climbers in different regions and situations like the long Southern Chattanooga, which is where Mark lives off season where going outside is heinously pointless, you know, because it's a hundred degrees and tons of humidity. Um, what do you, do you see pros and cons of either? Um, yeah, the especially going back to if you've got the time for it, um, long long cycle training is is appropriate. Um, but mm-hmm. I still I still hate um, linear. Still not a linear progression. I, I still hate <clears throat> it in general for for every everybody. Um, and so that's where we get into that block style periodization mm-hmm. and and block periodization is let's call it a hybrid of the two, um, and it's. I think I think in every respect the most appropriate training um, uh, programming for climbing, and basically what that is is we'll say for this six weeks we're focusing on strength, but we're going to simmer our 
right. power and our endurance and all those sorts of things. Right. And then you'd move to a power block and, and simmer all the other ones. Mm-hmm. And so you'd, you do just enough to maintain those. It's like the, the deadlifting we talked about this, uh, a couple questions ago. Um, I, I'm not focusing on getting stronger on that, but I, I want to maintain that. Right. So we do as little of those other things as possible. And so I think that, that somewhere in between is, is what he's looking for. Yep. And I think that's more the style I generally defaulted to mm-hmm. when I was training for climbing in the red, yep. you know, and the people that I worked with is we kept things on the back burner, um, and had them there maintaining while focusing on yep. something else. Yeah, you should figure out how strong your fingers are and then never give any any on that. Like you should maintain that finger strength for as long as you can and then try to improve on it. But if you can, on a dynamometer, close 180 pounds, like you should never, in no season should let that go away. But you should also, when you're training up your endurance, training up your, your uh, energy system work, you should do that as little as possible. And maybe it's once every six days, once maybe it's maybe, maybe every eight days. And that's where training logging is critical and, um, and planning is really critical. Mm-hmm. You know, like I would say, spread your hangboard sessions out as far as you can possibly can. Right. And, and, uh, and then, you know, maybe you can get away with it once every 12 days. Right. And I think it's a, an easy jump for people to make when they, are really good at something to do it more often. Right. You know, I think that's pretty natural. Well, and, and maybe the opposite of what they should be doing. Yeah. And, and, um, I, I loved Dave McLeod at some point says, uh, you know, the enemy is your tastes. Mm, (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and I think that that's the, that's the interesting thing too. And this is sort of divergent, um, for training purposes. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, you're like, oh, I'm good at dinos. I'm going to do more dinos. Right. And, uh, and, um, I think that one of the things that people tend to do is, um, if, if a little bit of a, of, of training is good, their, their natural step is to do more of that. You know, like, oh, I really like campusing. Campusing has improved my, my finger power, whatever. Right, let's um, keep it going. I'm going to double it. I'm going to go twice as much. And, you know, we, uh, that's, that's disaster time. Yeah, so. totally. Yeah, so I think what, what's important to recognize about Mark's question is that you can still fit nonlinear periodization into a, a longer form mm-hmm. um climbing cycle or training cycle. Um, I, I think, and you know, I haven't talked to Mark uh, about this, uh, Mark Anderson, but one of the things that he's been implementing is normal strength and power cycles through the winter. And then when it comes time to be in a peaking cycle, going to a nonlinear style of training Mm -hmm. where, um, by, by bringing in all of those things, um, he can then maintain longer peaks. And, and I don't know the exact details on it, but that's really common. And we see that with our athletes and it's, it's a lot of what I've, I've done for myself is like, gosh, I have a a whole month and I'm definitely not going to beat the crag. Let's, let's put all of our energy into getting stronger. Let's, let's right. really work this stuff. And then, then we can go into a nonlinear when we, when we're uh, feeling a little more fit. Yep. Uh, Mark also had a question about progression regardless of programming style. 
and how do we measure it? And this again could be a whole podcast to itself, you know, and maybe should be and will be, but how do you measure your progress, your progress in climbing with when it's a tough thing to measure? Right. Um, so there's, there's a lot of those things like that's one of the, the attractions of weight training or, or endurance exactly. sports is yeah. like, you go like, so oh, easy to measure. I'm faster. I'm, I'm stronger or whatever. Um, it's pretty easy on, uh, in finger strength. You can yep. use, you can use a dynamometer, which is like a, a hand gripper with a, a spring on it that, that allows you to get a number on, on how much you can close your hand isometrically. And that's, that's a useful tool um, in, in several regards, um, including uh, knowing whether you're ready to train that day. But so, and then you should also be able to go with 50 pounds on my waist, I can hold this edge for this long. And right. um, the, uh, the finger strength stuff, like isometric hanging, you, you should be able to have good numbers on. Um, the climbing is a little more difficult. Um, and sometimes you'll have landmark routes, you'll have specific boulder problems that you can do, but there's so much that goes into that, including skill, body weight, fatigue, um, mental state, uh, that, that it becomes more difficult, um, to say I'm actually stronger. Um, the, uh, especially when you're making small gains instead of just, you know, if you jump from 12A to 13A, then it's fairly clear that you got better. Yep. But sometimes going from 13A to 13B, you can do that without necessarily getting better. Right. And and there's there's always the like the variability of how hard the problems are at the gym you're in versus right. outside versus all those things. But over time, you know, a collection of a lot of data starts to tell a story. And mm-hmm. so I would say you can look at um, how many of each grade that you red pointed any given month and look at them over time. Like I can, I, in my training logging, I can go back and look at every grade from like maybe 12A up. Um, and I can see how many of each of those I've done in a given month, just because of the, it's it, it completely accidentally the way I laid it out when I started keeping track. But then you go like, oh, okay, wow, look, I, I really red point a lot of routes in in March and in October and in November. And um, mm-hmm. and and over time, I've seen those numbers improve. Right. And so that kind of stuff, um, even though I may know those that style route better or I might be improving a specific facet of my fitness, over time we're seeing those those things, um, those patterns. Uh, emerge and it's it's hard on a on like a weekly scale but if you can step back and look at a year worth of data i think it starts to tell a, a, a better story yeah and i think you're you know you definitely um talk about the value of thinking about training in terms of putting money in the bank and looking at it over the long term instead of you know, I just trained for six weeks and I'm not any stronger. So that training plan yeah. didn't work, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think you should measure your climbing in the same way. Yeah. You know? And, and looking at, at the, you know, am I getting better? And that's the thing, like stronger and better are two different things. Right. And you want both. Yep. Um, but better is the goal. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to be the, you know, they have that. Right. Dino you want stronger contest. to support better. <laughs> 
you know yeah 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 um the, you know, it's like the, the world's largest dino. Right. And it's like, that'd be great to win that, but I really care more about red pointing. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good answer. Um, next, we've got two guys had a really similar question, John Roderick and Aaron Back. And um, their question was, for integrated strength training, how do you replace the deadlift if you just don't have access? And what would it look like what would it look like with kettlebells? What, what kettlebell exercises might work for your integrated strength training? Um, kettlebell deadlifts. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, really big kettlebells. Yeah, yeah, you need a bunch. Um, <laughs> no, and so, so we like the deadlift um, because of the hormonal value of heavyweight training. Right. And that's um, going to be the trick with kettlebells yeah. is getting something heavy enough for that hormonal response. But that, that being said, depending what else you do in the session, we're still going to get that hormonal letdown. If you do, um, he, like if you have kettlebells, you can do heavy rack squats. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you do rack squats at, you know, say, I don't know, you know, 140 or something, um, you, you know, you're, you're getting the same value as a, as a, you know, 200 pound deadlift or something. Um, and so I would say it's not wrong to do like kettlebell swings. Um, the other thing is glute bridges are really good. Mm, like the mm-hmm. single leg bridges, um, uh, hip extensions can be useful. We have, um, I think I did an article on integrated strength a couple of months ago where we had a body weight only version of it and and it is glute bridges and um, single leg squats um, single arm push-ups mm-hmm. um, and are you more looking for the time component of it there or is it um you know is are you getting the same or or any hormonal response that you're looking for for the finger strength training um you are yeah it's it's it might be on a different level but the fact that you're doing it at all because you're okay. using the big muscles you're overloading those big muscles. And as long as we stay in that zone of, you know, something where five reps is, is pretty tough. Yep. Um, you're, you're going to do pretty well. Okay. Gotcha. And I, that, that's just an interesting thing. I read, um, there was a, Dan Mursky wrote a pretty good article about strength training. Um, and I can't remember, it was like on some, uh, so on friction, friction labs. labs, yeah, yeah, and he just got lambasted by these people that yeah, they they yeah, I saw that they failed to understand mm. the reason that that we do those lifts, and, right? And I think Dan's got a I I don't even know him, but he's got a great understanding of of training climbers, mm-hmm. yep. And I think that that that's that classic like I don't understand it, so I'm going to criticize it, right? Um, and but it's one of the one of those things like try it, and if if you if it doesn't work for you, don't do it anymore, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, and then, but, but like to just come flat out and, and argue against it, not yeah. having been in that zone. Um, I think that's, I think that's a sophomoric, uh, yeah. Behavior. I think anytime a response starts with this is stupid, yeah, then it might be a response just worth skipping over. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I like the integrated strength and, and I've been using it a lot with my clients and myself. And, uh, I know our guys use it. Paul, our kettlebell guy has had great results with it using kettlebells and doing exactly what you're saying front, you know, rack squats, um, big, heavy kettlebell movements along with his finger strength training. And I don't know the, 
science well enough to say what the hormonal responses are with different lifts and um, different weights. But I really like the time saving component yeah. of it and that you're not, you don't end up in that classic, uh, you know, photo of weightlifting gyms with 10 people sitting around on benches. Right. You know, you, you've got something going on. So, so yeah. I think it helps people feel like they're getting a lot done and it saves them a lot of time, which yeah. is important for a lot of, for most well, everybody. Well, and and hangboarding is almost always um, diminished by the fact that we get bored, right? Between like, oh, if we're doing max hangs, mm-hmm. and it, so you're like, okay, I did a max hang, and I'm, really, I'm supposed to rest for however long, right? And um, then if you go like, oh, I did a max hang, and now I'm going to go do something else. Um, like the, I don't, you know, I don't care. You don't have to deadlift the get ups, get up would be a great substitution there. You know, do, do get ups or, um, you know, do, do something. Um, but, but a a strength exercise, I've, I've got athletes that do, um, hangboard, heavy core and mobility as that triplet and, and without the, without the, the strength component, you know, just working on, on core stuff and, and that probably has a less hormonal effect, but the fact that you're doing other stuff besides right. forearms, yeah, um, you're getting going things to, done. It's going to improve so. that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, Van Doan, who I believe is coming to the, Oh yeah. He's seminar. coming to the coaching clinic. Yep. Yeah. Um, he asks, how do we apply logical progression to mobility and flexibility? Um, oh, that'll be covered in the seminar. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so the the mobility and flexibility should be integrated with the with the sessions. And one of the things I I line out in there, and the the strength session that I recommend is to do integrated strength. And so then the mobility and flexibility would be there. Um, then with the the uh, bouldering component, I would say take off your shoes and mm-hmm. and do your flexibility in between boulder problems. It's, it's a, that's a win-win with bouldering anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, like if you're really climbing very hard on the boulders at all, um, you need to be focused on climbing harder rather than more boulders. And right. so climb a hard boulder, take off your shoes, do a mobility drill. Um, and then, then you could do the same with the energy system work. There's a lot of in the, energy system workouts lined out in the book, um, there's a lot of time. Like you you get fatigued and we need to recover right. and that's the time to do mobility. Uh, you know, the Facebook is the enemy of flexibility because people instantly go to their phones. Yeah. And, um, and I think that, or, or Instagram or whatever it is, uh, at, that's your per, uh, current personal preference. And so I think one of the great things um, that we learned from Lee Brown, who's one of our coaches, um, is that this is your time. Um, and you put the phone away, come in and train. Um, it's quiet. Um, you know, the second that, you know, Instagram pops up, your phone rings, whatever, somebody is taking your attention, right? You know, you're giving your attention away for free. And this one time of the day, you should give that attention to yourself. Yep. And so that's, that's the, anytime that you're resting between sets is time to do mobility. Yep. Yep. I like having mobility and flexibility worked into a session that way, because I have a really, even as a former gymnast, I have a really hard time now just stretching yep. um, or just doing mobility work. Um, 
Well, isn't that interesting? That's a that's a kind of a, a tangent, but it's important tangent. Um, we I think one of the reasons people don't like it is because it's hard to quantify. Exactly, and you, and you see really slow results. Yeah, and that's like if difficult. you if you could if we had a, like a splits percentage measurer, yeah, and you were seeing gains there, we we do it a lot, yep. or or you know your turnout. We do the frog a lot as a as a turnout exercise, and if I could get people that you know way to measure that they do it all the time yeah but for sure yeah yeah it's tough and uh let's see daryl bickle asks um he asked for both of our thoughts on the no hang method of finger strength training so like the gripple and you know things that you're holding instead of hanging from for finger strength um i think I think that there's there's a benefit there um, in that it puts less um, uh, traction stretch stress on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, however, traction Climbing stress on sort the shoulder of stresses your shoulders so. does right, and so <clears throat> I I understand where they're coming from. I, it's quantifiable. It's nice to be able to like yep. go. Oh, I can hang you know two eighty five point five on on. Uh, uh, you know, this, um, thing, but I don't, I don't feel like that's the, the way in the light. Um, we do like it. I've got a guy, um, that's training a lot of, uh, ring finger and little finger individual stuff for some specific routes. And I do like, like hanging weight from, from those. Uh, but I, I don't think it's, I, I think it's a tool, but it's not a revolution. Yeah. I'm, I'm of the same mind that you are that um, I'm sure it does put less stress on your shoulders and that whole structure, but climbing stresses those structures. And if you're not able to hang from your fingers on an edge without injuring your shoulders, then there's something else you need to be doing other than finger strength training. Yep. You know, so. Well, and I, I think that there's a there's a real place for those in in warm ups and you know like I bet like a grip puller we got these things called uh, God what is it crimp works they're uh, two edges that are connected by a bungee and, okay and they're I haven't awesome seen those yeah they're they're a really cool little tool and wonderful like if you're traveling but um, also like super good warm up because you can you can warm up real slow into it and so yep. instead of like having to do uh, a you know a, a counterbalance or a counterweight pulley system or mm-hmm. whatever to get your fingers ready for a hangboard session. I think those are, those are going to be a really good tool. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'd be interested to see those. Um, Van had another question. How do we continue to progress over long climbing trips? And I know that Van just left on what's going to be a long climbing trip. So I'm sure this is a personally pertinent question to him, but um, how do you apply logical progression if you're on a climbing trip and don't have a super consistent way to train? Well, I think the thing is, is you've got to strip it down to its, to its essence, which is let's work a different energy system. Each training session, you say, I'm going to work strength. I'm going to be, you know, working on these, on these highly intense things, um, which, which we do lose when we're, when we're traveling. Um, I, one of my athletes is a traveling nurse and he, and he, you know, will go 
to one location for four weeks and another one. So he lives in his van. Right. And, um, and so it doesn't matter where he is. He just got done with the stint in Joshua tree. And so he bouldered there and then he worked hangboard at night in the, in the van. And so I think what you need to do is say like, I'm going to do a strength day. Um, whether it means I'm doing a strength workout in the parking lot at Smith or, or what. Right, right. Um, and then I'm going to have a, a day when I'm working on explosiveness and I'm going to have a day that I'm working on my energy system stuff. And some of that's going to be easier um, if you stopped in at a climbing gym. Um, some of it's going to be easier at the crag. Um, but it is how, how strong can you stay? And these tools like the flashboard, the uh, uh, and and the awesome Woody's boards, and all those um, traveling hang boards, it makes it possible to keep your fingers yeah. strong in, yeah, no matter great. what you're doing. You know, we have uh, these instructors for the National Outdoor Leadership School here mm-hmm. that are now taking those hang boards out into the mountains with them, so that they can stay strong. So that you know, but after they're done teaching for a month in the mountains, they can come back and still rock climb. Right. Well. Still have some finger yeah. strength. Going. And so I think it is just a matter of, you know, staying organized enough and understanding yeah. that travel isn't going to be when you're going to make your hugest gains, but you can avoid making those huge losses. Yep. And I think that, you know, beyond just the training and using the available tools that you have, it's also a good time to really focus on the practice of, of climbing and not letting your sessions, your outdoor sessions devolve into just performance all the time. Right. You know, if you can really dig into the, the tiny aspects of, you know, moving really well or learning better tactics and all these things that combine to make you a better climber. Um, I think that's a smart way to look at it too. Yeah. Well, you know, um, Seagrist is a really great example, Jonathan, um, he climbs all outside all the time and right. he climbs on lots of different rock mm-hmm. switches. You know, he's been switching into bouldering. He gets on all kinds of different stone. And, and so his, his practice is maximized and, and, and it, and it's, you know, the proof's in the pudding, you know, he's, he's yeah. really able to perform well. Yep. And he's spent time, you know, training in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. And I think he's done a good job of realizing, okay, I've, I've maximized this for now. Yeah. Um, let me kind of follow my stoke and yeah. and go this way and dig into this, you know, yeah. this aspect of climbing. So. And and you know, as far you know, as far as I can see, he's avoided that that ego trap of thinking he knows everything. Right. Which is really which is really great because I think the next couple of years are going to see um, some spectacular stuff come from that guy. So. Mm-hmm. For sure. And then I had a few questions um, from your from the book. Um, number one, in the program examples, um, and they are just examples, and I understand that. Um, but you had back to back strength followed by a bouldering day, and never had it the other way around. And I'm just curious what your if there was a you know a logic behind that. Yeah, the the thing I I've found is that people will go deep bouldering, mm-hmm. but they'll they'll usually follow the plan on the strength day, and gotcha. so they won't just like just get hung up on a project. And you know, I'm just going to keep 
work in deadlifts till I get this or something. Right, right, <laughs> right. And so, so usually um, people come out of the bouldering day more tired. Yeah, it's easier um, to get them to cut yeah. off a strength session yep. than it is to cut off a bouldering session. Yeah, that being said though, Chris, one of the things that we do with our athletes is have them train strength after a climbing day, mm -hmm. um, if they like in season, um, you know, a couple of our guys will, they'll red point on like Sunday and Wednesday and then Sunday night and Wednesday night, they come into the gym and do their right. strength work yep. because of the recovery component there. But that's at a really elite level. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for most people, most people's strength isn't that intense and they can probably boulder fine the next day. Um, and so that's, that's the main reason I did it. It would probably work okay the other way around. Yep. I got um, you. That, and that makes perfect sense. I hadn't thought about that at all because I tend toward doing my strength training either immediately after climbing yeah. or doing it the following day. Yeah. Um, but you're right. A, a lot of people will follow my, my bouldering session layout and then add notes. Oh, added an hour and a half of working yep. on V7s. Yeah. yeah. So you're right. They, yeah, they definitely tend to go deeper. Yeah, it's fun, and so that's that's why I like like the strength is never like I, I shouldn't say never, but it's really rare that I find somebody that just digs on hangboarding and weight training. You know? Yeah, totally. You know? And then I also had a question about if a climber has really distinct strengths and weaknesses, should the frequency in your um, nonlinear periodization plan should the frequency that they train those aspects of their their climbing change yeah that that's that's a good place to go um i i don't i think it's beyond the scope of of what i've written to give those specific recommendations but for example if your finger strength is really poor you could do a strength session then a power session then another strength session and then the energy system session gotcha rather than just sequencing through those those three in a normal right, fashion. Right, right, right. Um, or if they have a specific goal coming up, yep, like yep. they're you know they've got a superpower endurance route, um, they could they could put in those with more frequency. But always being a, aware of um, what's the result. Am, am I am I seeing improvements in these sessions? Am I am I doing too many of them? That kind of stuff. Yeah, and that was my follow up question. If they have a a specific trip, you know, if they're if they live in California where everything's vertical and they're taking a Red River trip for a month, you know, should their training plan change to reflect that? Yeah. And, and that's kind of, if we go back to that four week example, you know, I'll, I'll say stick with the same sequence on these things for four or eight or even 12 weeks, depending mm -hmm. how frequently you can do the sessions. But, but yeah, adapt to what you've got coming up. Yep. Um, it's like we <clears throat> talked about with Alex, you know, he's had to do all this work capacity stuff and everybody else is out bouldering and having fun. And, right. and here he is like doing, you know, high volume weight training and, and laps in the killer cave, you know? Yep. And so, yeah. I saw him out in the killer cave doing a bunch of things the other day. Yeah. So, and it's stuff that's relatively easy for him, but it's the kind of work like, you know, you just got to be able to do the work. And so if I'm getting ready to go to the red, I've got to get on steeper stuff. I got to start crimping, you know? Right. So, right. And, and you can, and that's the thing, that's the flexibility of the plan. I think the, the underlying thing is it's probably not wrong as long as you're getting regular stimuli and you're progressing session to session. You know, you want, yep. you want to have some kind of structure there. 
And the, the progressing session to session, I just have a question about that. There, we, we talk a lot about you want to keep progressing, and if you're not progressing, then you know rethink things or make a change. A lot of the people I work with, and I imagine a lot of the people you work with, uh, Emily and I were just talking about this last night, that oftentimes things get in the way and your you know real life pops up. And should those people take that, I didn't progress this session because I came in, you know, emotionally a wreck from dealing with, you know, family problems or whatever. Should that count toward their, I didn't progress this session? Yeah, I think that um, we we use this thing called the one six three rule, which is like out of every ten sessions, one of them is going to feel really great, mm-hmm. and six of them are going to be okay. And you're just punching the clock, and then three of them are going to suck, mm-hmm. and you're going to feel like you hate the sport, and you you never want to lift weights again, or whatever it is. Right. And so I I think when we say progressing session to session, there there's always a way forward, but the sessions also need to happen when you're ready for those sessions. Right. Like just because it's Monday and you've got time to train, and you're feeling crappy from yesterday, maybe you know maybe it's time for a rest day. Yep. And have, you know, building that flexibility and giving yourself permission to not train that day is, um, is, is as important as, as progress, uh, progressing the sessions. Now, when I say progressing session to session, we just want to make sure that you're not staying flat because right. people will use the word routine mm-hmm. and, um, and routine, uh, it tends to indicate we're doing the same thing over and over and over. And say you're doing like we'll go back to the get-ups. You know, you do five sets of get-ups. You know, one on each side. And if you've always done them with a forty-pound kettlebell, um, you know, and you do one set with forty-four, well, that's progress to me. Yep. You know, and, and I think you can also progress the quality of your, you know, if yep. you're in tune enough to pay attention to those things and understand yep. those things. Um, you know, my, my get ups right now, because I haven't done them in a while are really rusty. So, so my progress is in quality more than anything else. Yeah. And I think that assessment at the end of the, like the the hugest take home with, with training logs is to assess at the end of the session, Mm -hmm. not, you don't just write down all your shit. I mean, you know, like, you know what you did, but like, I felt good this session or my power was down this session or I can't wait till next Tuesday. Those sorts of things, like a two sentence um, assessment and then either a weekly or monthly overall assessment. This program really worked well. I'm, I'm happy with it because if you, if you have a program that works well and it turned up a bunch of red points, like that's a really good indicator that we want to come back there and that the progress was correct. Right. You know? And so again, we want to make sure that we're, we're seeing that athlete move forward rather than just staying flat all the time. I always like, we got a guy that comes in, he's coming, he's come in the gym for 10 years. He throws 115 on the bench press. He does three sets of 10. Right. And then he's out of here. And like for 10 years, mm-hmm. and like, you know, the greatest gift in the world I could give him would be to, sneak another two pounds on there right and you're just like oh my god all of a sudden we're moving forward again right change the numbers on your weights yeah yeah you know yeah you race them 
Um, <laughs> but that's uh, that's the thing that's really interesting is is getting out of that mentality of this is where I am. You know, my fixed mindset. Yeah. You know, where? Wh- how can I go forward? Yeah. Okay. I think we just about covered it. So I appreciate you answering yeah. these questions. And Good I'm sure questions. we'll have. I'm sure we'll have tons more of these in the future. So. Yeah, and you know the ultimate goal of any of these is to one day not have any more questions to answer (laughs) good luck (laughs) all right thanks chris yeah thanks steve i have a feeling steve's never going to reach that goal because as long as there are climbers out there there's always going to be questions about how to get better and uh big thanks to our facebook community group for all the great questions i appreciate how active you guys are over there and um You know, if you guys have been thinking about becoming a patron, now is the time. We've got some great things about to happen over there. It's, uh, once again, patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast, or you can go to powercompanyclimbing.com and click on the podcast tab. There are more bonus episodes, just like this one, coming for the patrons. And for all of you, please share us with your friends. Share us on your social medias. Uh, You can find us on the Facebooks, the Pinterests, the Instagrams. You cannot find us on the Twitter because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles.